Thanks for listening to another podcast from C3 East Village. Our hope is that this message will equip and inspire you in your walk with God. For more information about our church, check out our website at c3ev.ca or find us on Instagram at C3 East Village. And even this story goes beyond the biblical understanding of it. In fact, it goes into the sports world where we see that in different types of matchups where we have this team that seems unbeatable, they're often referred to as the Goliath. And that this underdog team that people are like, ah, oh, they don't have much of a chance, is often viewed as the David. And so we had a moment like this. If anybody's a Raptors fan in here, come on, we're Canadians. We got to cheer for the Raptors. The Raptors beating those undefeatable warriors. But no, really in this story, it's more than just this underdog story about overcoming the odds. It's actually within David's story, there's, a, there's an aspect of his unwavering faith in God, that God will come through in the situation, the circumstances of his life. And another aspect of who David was, was he was actually a talented musician. And so for some of us, we may not know this, but before David ever came to that place where um, he would defeat the giant, he actually was in a place where he was recognized for his musical abilities. And the king at this time, King Saul, would actually, it says he was tormented by an evil spirit. And so David, recognized for his musical ability to play the harp, I know, does anybody play the harp in here? Linda, do you play the harp? Okay. But he would be able to play the harp, and he was recognized for this, so he was asked to come before the king to play the harp. And so it would have been in this moment that when King Saul saw David coming and David saying, I'm going to fight this giant, that he would have actually recognized David as this shepherd boy who was good at playing an instrument, but not defeating a giant. And in fact, if we go back even further in David's story, it talks about the prophet Samuel coming to the house of David's father, Jesse, and saying that he's going to anoint the next king. And in this moment, Samuel comes and, and asks for Jesse to bring all his sons out, and he brings all his sons out, and he goes through the list of sons, and he says, do you have any other, other sons? And Jesse, his father, sheepishly says, well, we do have David tending to the flock, but he's not here right now. So Samuel says, go get David. So here's David, the overlooked son, even in this moment early on in his life. He gets called in, he gets anointed by Samuel to be the next king. And so here was David, who tended the sheep, who was a talented musician, who had begun to play in the king's service, but then who comes to a situation where he's actually just bringing food to his brothers, where he sees this giant slurring insults towards the Israelite people, saying all kinds of things about how they can't defeat him, this giant. And so David comes on the scene and is like, who is this Philistine that's saying these things about our God? And he says, if God can deliver me from the lion and the bear, he can surely deliver us from the Philistine. And so that's the faith that David had. And so we see even from a young age, his character was being developed. And in this story, we see that David, as this is happening, didn't ever step into, I am supposed to be king, so this needs to be given to me. He actually always took a, a posture of actually waiting in God's timing and being obedient to what God was calling him to do. And my first point tonight is that we can be used by God when we're willing to be teachable. And we see through David's story that he was someone that in, 
each different phase of his life, he was willing to be teachable and taught by God. He was willing to be obedient in the things that God was calling him into. And so David, after he slays the giant, he gets this opportunity to serve in King Saul's army. And so he comes this, this military commander for King Saul. And a song was saying about him, and the song would go that Saul has killed his thousands, but David has killed 10,000. And so quickly, King Saul got to a point where he became very jealous of David. And this is one of the biggest differences between King Saul and between David. That King Saul was at a place where he always was looking for the affirmation from man. He was always looking for affirmation from people, where David was looking for affirmation from God and who he was and what he was called to do. And so in this story, King Saul gets to a point where actually when David one time is playing the harp, he throws a spear at him trying to pin him to the wall. But David escapes. And things get so bad that David actually has to flee and escape from what's happening in this kingdom. And so David is on the run, and Saul's pursuing him. And David is just praying to God that he helps him survive this and escape this. But not once in this moment does David say, I'm the anointed king. Who is this person, the current king that's trying to kill me when I'm the promised king to come? In fact, David actually has moments and opportunities, if we read through the story, of where we find out that, David had moments where he could have killed King Saul. But in these moments, David takes another position again. He actually says in this moment, who am I to kill the Lord's anointed? Again, we see the teachability of, of King David, or sorry, of a young David before he was king, not stepping in to say, this is mine, I need to take it, but saying, God, in your timing, I trust you, and I'll be obedient to what you're leading me in this time. And so God, God uses David to kind of escape and, and band together with this bunch of renegades and outcasts. But there is a time that comes when King Saul dies and David is appointed king. And in this moment, we, we see that, that David f takes on many great victories in battle, in defeating their enemies and expanding the kingdom of Israel. And God uses David in an incredible way. And we see in Acts chapter 13, verse 22, it says, After removing Saul, he made David their king. God testified concerning him. I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. This is a, such an incredible thing that David was recognized after, as a man after God's own heart. And the last part of what this means, I've often asked this question, what does it mean to be someone after God's own heart? And I think that last part clears it up for us where it says, he will do everything that I want him to do. And what this is talking about is obedience. Are we willing to be obedient to the things that God's called us into in our life? And so David models that for us. But the thing about this, I actually think there's more to it than just what David did well and saw success in. I actually think to be someone after God's own heart, there's a different quality that God was looking for within his king. And so as we read further into 2 Samuel chapter 11... If we have that, we can put it up on the Sky Bible here. In verse 1 and 2, it says, In the spring at the time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. They destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah, but David remained in Jerusalem. And here it is that I think, I believe that David makes the greatest mistake of his life. And in a, a choice that will forever impact the future reign of his kingdom. And in this time... David's home when he should be at war, and this is what happens. It says, it happened late one afternoon when David rose from his couch and was walking about on the roof. 
of the king's house, that he saw from the roof a woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful. So here's David staying at home, looking out, see someone. And as the story goes, David requests for her to come to him. She comes to the king's palace. David sleeps with her, and she becomes pregnant. And so David, knowing that he could be in trouble now for what's just taken place, actually calls back the husband of the woman he slept with. And so this was actually a soldier in King David's army. And so David calls him back, and his name is Uriah. And if we read in other parts of the Bible and Chronicles, it actually talks about some of the most fearless warriors in King David's army. And Uriah is one of the ones that is recognized as one of David's mighty men. So I believe this isn't someone that was just some random person that David didn't know who it was. He was aware of who Uriah was. And so he welcomes Uriah back, and he asks how things are going on the battlefield, and Uriah shares it. And he says, why don't you go home and spend some time with your wife and sleep in your home? But Uriah, being a good soldier, says, who am I when my fellow soldiers are fighting on the battlefield to go back to my own home and sleep in my own bed? I will sleep outside the king's palace at the gate, and just like my soldiers, I'll prepare for when I'm going back into war. And so David tries to plead with him and convince him, but Uriah will have none of it. So David does what any good friend would do, and he tells Uriah what he did, right? Has anybody read the story? No, he didn't tell him what he did. In fact, he sends him back out into battle with a message for his commanding officer. And in this message to his commanding officer, it says, send Uriah out to where the battle is the fiercest. And he says, and when he gets out there, pull back from him. And essentially what David has told him to do is to send him out there and allow him to die. And this is what happens. So not only does David commit adultery with Uriah's wife, but then he sends him off to be killed and murder. And in the Jewish law of this time, in the Mosaic law, the punishment for adultery was death. And the punishment for murdering someone was death. So here is David at a point deserving death for what he has just done. But he's living in this moment of a cover-up. And so the main text that we're going to read from tonight is in, in 2 Samuel chapter 12. And in this moment, God sends the prophet Nathan to go and talk with David. And Nathan comes and David likely thinks no one knows what's going on. This is, he's kept it internal enough that not many people know what has happened. But Nathan tells him a story, and it goes like this. He says, the Lord sent Nathan to David. He came to him and said to him, there were two men in a certain city, the one rich and the other poor. The rich man had very many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing but one little ewe lamb, which means a female lamb, which he had bought. He brought it up, and it grew up with him and with his children. It used to eat of his meager fare and drink from his cup and lie in his bosom, and it was like a daughter to him. Now there came a traveler to the rich man, and he was loath to take one of his own flock or herd to prepare for the wayfarer who had come to him. But he took the poor man's lamb and, pre and prepared that for the guest who had come to him. Then David's anger was greatly kindled against the man. He said to Nathan, as the Lord lives, the man who has done this deserves to die. He shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and because he had no pity. And Nathan responds to David. He says, you are this man. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel. I anointed you king over Israel and I rescued you from the hand of Saul. I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your bosom and gave you the house of Israel and of Judah. And that if that had been too little, I would have added as much more. 
Why have you despised the word of the Lord to do what is evil in his sight? You have struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and have taken his wife to be your wife and have killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Now therefore the sword shall never depart from your house for you have despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Thus says the Lord, I will raise up trouble against you from within your own house and I will take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbor. And he shall, be, he shall lie with your wives in the sight of this very son. For you did it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel and before the son. David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. <clears throat> and Nathan said to David, now the Lord has put away your sin. You shall not die. Nevertheless, because, he did this, because you did this deed, you have utterly scorned the Lord. The child that is born to you shall die. So here's David in this moment where what he deserves is death. What he deserves for both of these actions is actually death. And we see a piece of this in this story that, that he actually re repents before God and God forgives him of this sin. But also in this story, what we don't see is coming up that he, he does end up losing the son that was to be born from Bathsheba, who is the, the woman that he slept with. And additionally, he would lose his kingdom for a time period to one of his sons. And his son, in a sign of public humiliation and as a sign of taking over the kingdom, would sleep with the wives and the, the concubines who had been left within the city where, where David reigned. And so there was consequences for his sins. But I think what we learn in this story is actually something that reveals what a man after God's own heart is. And my second point tonight is that those who are willing to be corrected can be used by God and make an impact for God. In this moment, we have a moment where, where David can choose as the king to say, who are you as this prophet to tell me what to do? I'm the king of Israel. But that was not the response that David had. David actually, from a repentant heart, decides to recognize what he has done and realize that he is wrong in his actions. Now, I've never committed adultery. I've never committed murder, nor do I ever plan to do those things. But as I was preparing this, I was reminded of a story in my life that when I was a, a young teen growing up, I had moments where sometimes you choose good friends and sometimes you choose friends that are less wise than your good friends to be around. And I remember I would be spending time with these friends and we'd go into a store and um, as we were leaving, I would notice my friend pocketing something and say, don't worry about it, don't say anything. And we'd walk out of the store and nothing would happen. And as I hung out more with these friends, I started to realize that I also could walk into a store, put something in my pocket, walk out of the store, and nothing would happen. And so a pattern began to happen in my life where certain decisions I was making were not probably the best choices that I could be making. But I, I thought there was no consequences for it because each time I did it, there was no response to anything that was happening. But there's this one time that I remember that I'm in this store and I, I put something in my pocket and I begin to walk out of the store. But little did I know that the manager of the store was watching the cameras in the back and confronts me before I leave the store. And so my first response in this moment was to lie, was to make up excuses, was to say that he got it right, was to say that he got it wrong, was to say that who was he to accuse me? I was just still in the store and I was going to pay for it. But in reality, I was caught red-handed trying to steal something. And I'll never forget that he called my parents, and I had to meet with my parents and him to avoid the police getting involved in this situation. But I had a choice to make in this situation. Was I willing to be correctable? Was I willing to learn from this experience and make choices in my life that would be beneficial 
for the future of where I was going? Or was I going to be a rebellious teen to say, who are these people to tell me what to do? I can do whatever I want. And we face these moments in our life of opportunities for correction. And the reality is the choice is ours of how we respond to these moments. Do we respond with correction or do we disregard it? Do we respond in a way that no one really knows about this? This is a secret. Maybe you lied about something. Maybe you cheated on something. And the reality is maybe no one will ever find out. But in David's situation and in my situation, God revealed to me that to truly be someone after God's own heart is someone who's willing to be correctable. And when confronted with something, when we know we're out of line, to be willing to change. When it talks about repentance, repentance actually means turning away from the previous way of doing things. And so from David's story, I believe that this is something that we can learn from that shows us how to be someone after God's own heart. And so in this story, it's hard to see what David's response really was because it just says that he recognized that he has sinned and that Nathan says that he won't lose his life as a result of it. But in Psalm 51, if you ever read it, there's those captions that happened before, and it says that David wrote this psalm after Nathan, he had the encounter with Nathan in regards to the issue with Bathsheba. And in the first four verses of this, it says, Have mercy on me, O God. According to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you alone have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are justified in your sentence and blameless when you pass judgment. This is someone that's not unrepentant that's saying like, oh, I'm just saying forgiveness to get out of it. David recognized in this moment that the actions that he had taken were wrong. And he had to face the consequences. There will be choices we make in our life that we have to face the consequences for. And I don't know what you've done in your world, but tonight I want to remind us that no matter what those choices are in our world, there's nothing that is too great that the love of God, that the grace of God, and that the mercy of God cannot cover. And maybe you think like, well, I've never done something that bad of these stories that you talk about, but we've all had moments where we've been faced or confronted by someone where we know we're in the wrong. And these are the moments where we get to choose, are we going to be correctable Maybe it's someone in your life, maybe it's a boss or a friend who calls you out on that. Or maybe it's God that personally calls you out and says what you're doing is not right. We, in these moments, get to make the decision to have a heart that is obedient to God and willing to be corrected. And then have the faith to live it out, trusting that that God's going to help us through this situation, regardless of how bad we think it is. Additionally, in, in Psalm 32, verse 5, David said, Then I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not hide my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. There's actually been multiple moments when we read David's story where he did make some bad choices, but when he was called out on it, he immediately turned back to God because he wanted to stay in relationship with God. And I believe that's what it's talking about when it says to have a man after God's own heart when it's referring to David, to be someone who has a heart after God's own heart, is someone who is willing to be correctable, who actually turns to be obedient to God because they want to be in relationship with God. And at the end of that Psalm 51 that we were reading, it shares this picture of what David saw the restored relationship to be with. And it says, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and put a new and right spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence, and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and sustain in me a willing spirit. 
This shows the model of, what, of who David actually was. And I do believe those early years of, of David's life produced the man that he was later in his life to actually have the character to respond correctly when confronted with these things. And I think we can learn two things from David, that the character that's developed early in our life in being in relationship with God prepares us for the moments later when we're faced with choices and decisions that we've made and how we respond to them. But it also shows us that when we have momentary lapses, here he is as a king staying home from battle, and we forget that we're in a spiritual battle, that we're in a fight where things can go wrong, that the enemy can come in and rob things from us to, to kind of mess us up in our world of, of how we thought things were supposed to turn out. But he also showed us when we have those momentary lapses that we have the ability to turn back to God. We have the ability to choose to be correctable. And so with David, earlier actually in, in 2 Samuel, it's in chapter 7, there's a promise that's made to David that is part of David's legacy. Part of what we've been talking about this month, this month is what does it mean to leave a legacy behind? And God promises him in chapter 7 that there will be a reign of, of kings that will be enduring forever. And part of this, this promise is actually speaking to that, that from David, from his line, will come the Messiah, and it's because Jesus would reign forever that this picture that's being created of a, of a kingship, of a lineage that will reign forever is fulfilled. And so this is the legacy that David leaves behind. And I think it was, God could share this promise because he knew the character of who David was. He knew that even though he was going to face some challenges in his life and make some mistakes, that his heart was ready to be molded and turned back to God in the moments that he made those mistakes. And so in this, he was able to be used by God. To go back to that verse in Acts that we had talked about, there's a part at the end in verse 23 that I want to touch on, but just to refresh what was in verse 22, it says, After removing Saul, he made David their king. God testified concerning him, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. And then in verse 23, it says, From this man's descendants, God has brought the, is, to Israel the Savior, Jesus, as he promised. The incredible thing about David's story is this legacy would last. And as, as Jesus begins to get recognized by the people living in the land, they begin to call him the son of David. They begin to recognize him as the descendant of David, as that promised king, as that promised Messiah. And so we, we saw within David's story that there was this representation of what it meant to be a follower of God. And I think we can connect to this story because we all have flaws within our life. We all have moments where we make mistakes or we don't live up to who God has called us to be. And so we can learn from David's story. But from David came someone who is the perfect model for us to live after, and that is Jesus. It says that Jesus was the light of the world. Jesus came to show the proper way of how we are to live our life. And another passage says, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And in another passage, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. And what he meant by this was, I am the sustenance that you can live by. And there's an incredible moment right before um, Jesus gives his life, and it's talked about in John, and he chooses in this moment of having his last meal with, with his disciples, and he decides to wash their feet. 
And what he's doing in this moment is he was their teacher. He was well-respected by them, but he was doing something that was countercultural. He was doing something that would be, not be normal for this time period to actually be who they would see as the promised king, as the promised teacher, to actually get down on their level and say, there's nothing greater about who I am than you. He was speaking a message that would represent for all Christians that we are to treat people as equals, that we are to get on people's level and not think like, oh, we have this figured out better than them or we're better than this person, to not have a superiority or inferiority aspect of who we are, but to treat people with love and respect, whoever they are and whatever their background or whatever means they've come from. And so I'm just gonna ask Lyndon to come back on stage but in this moment, Jesus also talks to his disciples about remembering who he was in their life. So he's, he's going into a time where he's giving his life, and the disciples don't really realize or comprehend what's happening. But he's in a moment where he's, he's using this moment to teach his disciples who he is and what they can remember after he leaves. And so we're going to be reading from Luke 22, if you want to turn there with me. And in Luke 22, verses 14 to 20, it says, When the hour came, he took his place at the table and the apostles with him. He said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Then he took a cup, and after giving thanks, he said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. Then he took a loaf of bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. It says, And he did the same with the cup after supper, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. And so what he's talking about here is what's known as the Lord's Supper, or communion, or the Eucharist. And tonight we're going to have a moment where we get to celebrate in what Jesus came and did for us. And we get to remember what that represents and what that means. And so when Jesus is talking about that, he's giving the bread as a representation. I said earlier that, that Jesus said, I am the bread of life. It's a symbolic picture and imagery of, of sustenance of what we need in order to live. And he's saying that I'm about to give my life, to give my body as a sacrifice for you. And the bread is a representation of that for us, of Jesus' life and Jesus' body that he gave as a sacrifice for us. And the cup is a representation to the blood of Jesus and the blood that was shed on our behalf for us. And so as we, we take this, what we're doing is we're taking a moment to have a symbolic remembrance of what Jesus did, but also today who Jesus is and what that means in our life today. So as Christians, we take this, not just to remember who Jesus did, but to reflect today on what God is doing in our world. And I would encourage us tonight to take a moment to see how are you doing with being someone who's teachable and correctable in your life that allows God to call you out on things that are happening in your life and to be willing to turn to God and to be obedient in what God is calling you into. And so as we enter into this tonight, maybe you're someone that's been in a place where you've been living distant from God, your relationship with him has is, is kind of felt separated, that you want to be back in relationship with him. I'd encourage you in this time to come forward in communion to restore that relationship with God, 
to reflect on what he once meant in your life, but to reflect on what he means now moving forward in that restored relationship with him. And maybe you're someone that's never asked Jesus into your heart. And I want to invite you tonight, if that's you, that I'd love to pray a prayer with you and allow this to be a moment where you take communion for the first time. But it says in the Bible that when we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, that we are saved. That's what it talks about in, in what our salvation means. And then we partake in the communion to do that. So if that's you, I'm going to be up at the front. I would love to pray with you if you would like to make that decision for the first time. For many others of us, we've likely taken part in communion many times. And on this weekend where it's a moment of grieving, but also of celebrating someone's life that was close within our community, take this moment to remember that life is short, but that God uses us in each and every moment to make an impact. And I think the thing that spoke most to me in this memorial service is just how many people our friend Dan had made an impact in their life through his generosity, through his authentic love and re representation of who Jesus was. And so for wherever you're at tonight, whatever you've been going through, let this be a moment where you can just spend some time in quiet silence with God. And so how we're gonna do this tonight is I'm gonna ask you guys to come forward. There's gonna be some people here who are going to break bread for you. So to take a piece of the bread and we have um, gluten-free wafers, chips here for you, as well as a cup. And we're gonna take it individually. So if you came with someone, I'd encourage you to go back to your seats or to find a quiet place in the theater here and to take it together, to have that moment together. And if, you want, if this is something that you wanna do individually to just take a moment yourself, I'd encourage you to do that. And if you're someone that you're just feeling like, I don't know if this is for me, I'm uncomfortable with it. I just encourage you to just partake in this moment. You don't need to come forward. You can stay in your seat. Lyndon's gonna be playing a song. To just respect what's happening in the moment that's taking place, but you can just stay in your seat and listen to it and, and reflect on what God is doing in your life or what is happening in your world. And so in a moment, we will come forward and I'm just gonna ask that you come down through the middle aisles and I'll ask those who are helping just to come forward at this time. And so when you're ready, you can come forward. Thanks for listening. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast and check out our website at c3ev.ca. See you next week.